More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. On this episode of the Family Business Voice, we speak to Nike Anani about her new book, Lifetime to Legacy, to explore how families can navigate succession through better relationships. Nike is a family business member, speaker, author, and consultant. Her books offer business families from a variety of contexts the practical tools they need to untangle the complexities of family enterprises over generations. Enjoy this episode with Nike. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Family Business Voice. I'm so excited today to welcome my guest, Nike Anani. She is the author of Lifetime to Legacy. Welcome, Nike. Thank you so much, Romeo. I'm so glad to be here. So, Nike, we are going to be talking a lot about your book because Lifetime to Legacy is the quintessential family business read, I would say. Like, you know, I really love it. I think I always like to ask authors, why did you write this book and what prompted you, what motivated you to do so? That's a great question because on reflection, it was a journey of 18 months of a lot of hard work, as you kind of alluded to, but extremely rewarding. What inspired me was I was coming across families that I know I've seen very similar themes. I was seeing typically a founder that was struggling with letting go, thinking through what's next, how to integrate the next generation, how to prepare the next generation, what options do I have? worried about the future, worried about all the hard work that had been built up. On the other side, I was seeing a number of next gens, feeling quite lost in the system, feeling like, how can I kind of grab on and help my parents making a mark? And how can we co-create together and perhaps take things in a different direction than we've been in the past, but really struggling to get their voices heard and to implement any changes? And I was also seeing advisors, to be frank, who would often speak in the language of the technical, in the tax planning, financial planning, business planning, but were quite mute on the language of the relational. And going back to my personal experience, I'm a family business owner myself. I started off my career on the technical side, so I'm I'm an accountant, I'm a tax planner. And moved back to my family enterprise and started working with my dad and set up our family office. But frankly, a lot of where I got stuck in terms of navigating generational transition was on the relational side, on the qualitative side, and not the quantitative side. And I thought it was important to write a book and help families in navigating what are the first steps you take in building that the qualitative side, building that relational connectivity, because if we only help families in the language of the quantitative, we're only enabling them to speak in a language, but it's not the full totality of the skills they need in building generational businesses and generational wealth. The relational side is truly, truly important. That was really the inspiration behind the book. And I I'm so glad it's been out in the world and we're over and done with 
<laughs> writing <laughs> drafts and but it's been an extremely fun journey. Let's just talk a little bit about how culture, I would say, and context influences what you've just talked about. Because I think for so many family businesses that I know from cultures where, you know, we're more collectively minded, there's more maybe like stiffer structures of power still in place. How have you taken cultural context into account? I love this question and it was a huge motivator in me writing this book was I found that a lot of resources, content, the advice for family businesses tends to be quite Western centric, particularly US centric. And as an African, I'm from Nigeria, our family enterprises in Nigeria, culturally completely different from Western culture, like you alluded to, more collectivist as opposed to individualistic and as a result, our kind of sense of responsibility towards wider stakeholders in the community is absolutely mission critical. The way we see family is very different. So family is not just mum, dad and 2.4. Family can be a kin, a tribe. It could literally be people from the same village as me. It could literally be members of a church. It could be an old an alumni group from university or from secondary school. But as a member of that tribe, we ensure that we're uplifting those that are at risk of being left behind, the most vulnerable. And so as a next themes that I'm seeing is adding that with the next generation typically being sent abroad for their university, for their high school um, in Western countries get exposed to individualistic cultures which are promoting independence your you know promoting your autonomy promoting you pursue your dreams and your vision and your goals promoting your voice matters speak up when you disagree and when a number of these next gens come back into their family businesses we see a clash of cultures between the first gen and the next gen. And there's this clash of expectations from the first gen or interdependence. What's your role in collectively building this legacy versus on the next gen side, how is this going to help me fulfill my goals, right? And I thought it important that um, a lot of the time when, like he said, when you try to speak in the language of the relational amongst African cultures, um, that can be some resistance. Like, this doesn't belong here. This is, belongs in New York. This belongs in Geneva. <laughs> this belongs in London. But this doesn't belong here. I thought it important to help families realize that it definitely belongs here. The emotional is just as important as the technical because of the confluence of family and business matters. Family is very different from business. Business is very different from family and they can influence each other. And we need to take these into consideration when we are looking into legacy planning and succession planning. Perhaps what I've seen work quite well um, is having a third party come in to have these more tricky conversations that the families have not necessarily been accustomed to having. This is so interesting to me because it like comes down to so much of just like the culture in the family enterprise, right? Like, so the culture of the family enterprise 
Is it open to having the discussion? Are you encouraged to have the discussion? Are you like, you know, are you willing? Is there a dialogue opportunity or not? And all of that is sort of like really hinges on, I guess, also the leadership that's currently in charge, right? So when it comes to the kind of leadership that you would like to see in family enterprises that enables this kind of exchange, what does that leadership look like for you? I think there's a slight nuance in the family enterprise setting because you have so many different stakeholders. And so it requires a leader to be a bridge builder, to be one that's really able to have deep empathy for different stakeholders. Each of these stakeholders have different perspectives, different priorities, different preferences, and different personalities, right? So having this EQ, the emotional quotient, to be able to navigate, right, what direction should we be moving in? What's this unifying direction that galvanizes all the stakeholders and rallies us towards a common purpose? And not only identifying that, but being sensitive enough to communicate it in a way that really resonates with each different stakeholder group it's really a superpower and I find that some helpful tips is communication for instance isn't just about speaking it's also about being able to decode what the other person has just said so it's also about listening and listening with not just your ears but also with your heart it's not just communicating the technical next year we are expanding into China that's great but also the emotional. There's some hurts that are really hindering me from collaborating with my siblings because we haven't gotten past that. How can we start to heal from that and start to have these difficult conversations so we can collaborate and start to work on building the business of the future? What are the typical obstacles, right, like in the way of enabling that kind of leadership? What other things do you see in the way of leaders actually promoting that culture now in their families? What do you think is sort of like the main inhibitor for leaders to maybe like address these things more? Right. I think there's a bit of a generational shift, like you kind of alluded to, where the younger generation are more inclined and more willing to have these more daring, vulnerable conversations on things that historically have been taboo. And so what I'm observing is with the older generation, there tends to be a reluctance to go to the realm of the vulnerable. And that's a huge obstacle. I'm seeing a number of my next generation clients say, I'm trying to create a culture where it's permissive amongst our staff to talk about mental health. I'm trying to create a culture where it's more collaborative and less, less positional leadership. But I'm finding resistance from the older generation who are saying, this is the way we've always done things. This will not work here. This doesn't belong here. And so I think a lot of the work in this industry is really geared around historically around preparing the next generation for their roles in family enterprises. There's not enough talk on preparing the now generation. How do you prepare the now gens to be able to be embracing towards change? That's frankly inevitable. So what do you think are realistically actually the survival chances of family enterprises that do not address this as a now generation issue, but rather feel like, you know what, let the next generation sort of like figure this out? 
That's a great question. And we do have some data based on this, but it's quite US centric. And it was done by the Williams Group. And they found that 70% of families lose control of their assets and won't have harmony by the third generation. And they did some study into why that was. And they found that 60% of these unsuccessful wealth transfers and business transfers was due to lack of trust and communication in the family. 20% was due to lack of unprepared or disengaged next generation, which could be linked to the first as well, in my opinion. 15% was due to these families not having a mission, a clear wealth mission or vision. And less than 5% was due to what we term as the technical financial planning, estate planning, tax planning, strategic business planning. And so it's really interesting. 95% was due to the relational not the technical, the qualitative, not the quantitative. So what do you recommend to those people understanding right now when they hear this or when they read your book that they have this challenge in the family enterprise? How do you start that conversation without antagonizing everyone from day one, especially if the family is absolutely not used to talking about these things? I say start small and start with conversations. If you're a next generation member and there's a generational divide, a gulf in the culture, so to speak, and willingness and openness to dare and have these conversations, start with your siblings. Start identifying your unifying purpose, your unified values, your unified vision and mission and start to get to know each other. Like, so do your lifeline exercise, which I refer to in the book, where you're able to unpack your triumphs and your trials. And what did that mean to you as an individual? And you're able to share lessons with each other and and start to band together. If you're a first gen, I would say also start with a conversation, perhaps with your spouse to begin with. Like, what legacy do you want to be leaving and what legacy do you want to be living I think frankly a lot of the conversation in the industry is centered around this storied individual that's this giant that's achieved so much and we want to carry on that story over generations but I think frankly that does it a huge disservice. It's a collective story of the family. It's not just about the financial success of this one person or of the family. There's also qualitative resources that are coming from all the different family members. So starting to have this conversation with your spouse, like what legacy do we as a family want to be leaving and living? And then extending that conversation to your children. And like I said, you can also do the lifeline exercise with your children and just start small. And over time, you start to identify areas in which as a family, you can start to address and improve. Like, Peter Drucker says, what gets measured gets improved. So knowing that we want to improve our relational health, we have to measure it. And a great tool and a recommended book, I would say, is Family Wealth by Jay Hughes. Because in it, he talks about not just the financial capital, he talks about the human capital, the emotional well-being of each of the family members, the knowledge capital their ability and their understanding of business acumen, financial literacy, stewardship, philanthropy. He talks about social capital, the family's 
commitment to networks and communities. He talks about interpersonal capital as well within the family, like what's our level of communication and relational connectivity. And in it, he has like um, a survey where you can measure, so to speak, the extent of your qualitative capital. And then you can begin to work on those as a family, right? But I think widening the conversation beyond just the financial, just the business is really important in addressing those areas that were found by the Williams Group. That communication, that trust, that lack of clear vision and mission and engaging the next generation in this collective conversation. So it's not just about learning the job, but also learning how to be a positive part of that dynamic, I would say, which is which is just fascinating how little that is being talked about when it comes to succession as well to next generation. So really great to see this in your book. Realistically speaking, in Africa right now, talk to me about the the pressures of family businesses in African countries at the moment? Like, so what do you think is the biggest pressure and how could this potentially impact their ability to have the lifetime to legacy conversation as you propose it? Like, you know, how do you assess that probability for them to even get to this conversation within this particular generation? I would definitely say the biggest risk or the biggest factor stressor is political and economic risk. We've seen a lot of political uncertainty amongst most of the biggest economies and countries in Africa in the last, since COVID. And that naturally puts a lot of financial pressure on business owners. Um, Uncertainty over tomorrow, will policies change drastically, ease of doing business, the outlook And what that means and what it usually leads to is this pressure to focus on firefighting and stay in the realm of the technical, right? So how can we engineer our balance sheet to survive for the next two to three years? Or what strategy do we need to be putting in place to be able to diversify the business? Or what relationships do we need to be building and so on and so forth? Really orienting oneself towards survival, orienting oneself towards the business field to um, whilst neglecting the family field because it feels like yeah we'll get to that we'll get to that but it's not the most important thing right now given we have like a civil war going on or we have like a recession or like a you know it's like massive massive problems that seem so all-encompassing yeah yeah absolutely right but I do think that there's you know when is the right time when is ever <laughs> the right time to invest in the relational? And frankly, it is an investment. And it's just like investments, the interest compounds over time, the benefits compound over time. Because like we're alluding to, it takes a lot of time to coalesce and start to understand each other's personalities, preferences, perspectives, priorities, form a common vo- voice of what's our shared legacy that we're trying to curate. And then start to implement on that, right? Legacy is not built overnight. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It takes a lot of intentionality is what I say. So I would say is because of the conditions, the quite difficult external conditions, it can condition families to think, right, we've got time. We'll cross this bridge once we we put out the fire. Yeah. 
How do you think people can use your book as a tool if they are convinced now that, you know, this is definitely something that they want to build more awareness around in their family enterprise? I'm a big advocate for evolutions and not revolutions. And the essence of the book was to kind of create awareness amongst family members of just how important the relational is. And I, I appreciate there's a lot in there and there's a lot in your mind to stew on, start to reorient your mind as to where you should place your focus on. So that was one. So I, I want folks to take their time to digest what's in there, let it settle and percolate, but move to action. I'm an action oriented person and key action what I would love is for people to actually take that step in organizing a family meeting so right at the end it rallies you towards this point of right okay you've read the book and you've got to implement and a great starting point is to have a meeting and there's a quick start guide and how you can start to things to think about in planning a meeting and areas of discussion that you can implement also in there, there's exercises, how you can start to identify your individual values, your collective family values, and conversation starters for where do we want all this to be going towards? Like, what's the compelling reason for us to stay in business together as a family, to stay investing together as a family, to coalesce together? So that's what I would love to see is folks use the book as a practical guide to have conversations as a family. And hopefully people will do so. There'll be a link to your book below this podcast for people to go check it out. Uh, thank you so much, Nika, for joining us on the podcast. And hopefully we've encouraged loads of people to have more of the difficult but very rewarding conversations and get their family enterprises from lifetime to legacy. Thanks for joining us on the Family Business Voice. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.